When you're crunching your numbers, make sure that you verify everything. That's what I learned when I did that flip. I made certain assumptions and they were just wrong. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost-effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm here today with our guest, John Stober. John is joining us from Denver, Colorado. He's got three years of real estate experience, owns two multifamily properties that consist of 34 units. John, before we get started, tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're working on now. Ash, thanks so much for having me on the show today. I'm a huge fan. A little about me. I'm 26 years old right now. I graduated from college about four years ago, which I can't believe with degrees in finance and accounting. And like everyone else in college, I'm just trying to get a job, get good grades so I can go into corporate world. 
So when I got my job offer right before I graduated, I saw the salary, the compensation package and the PTO, which paid time off for all the entrepreneurs out there. And I was just like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> it's not enough money. It's not enough time off. So I started searching for ways to make passive income, which led me down the real estate rabbit hole. And in the last three years, I started off with just a little two unit, which I house hacked, learned how to be a landlord, transitioned over to flipping because I knew I was going to need to get some experience with rehabs and renovations. And after doing some of those smaller deals with a small group and by myself, I kind of got exposed to multifamily and I was like, this is definitely the path I want to take. It's just much better use of my strengths, analyzing these big properties as opposed to going after single family burrs and flips. What was your first property? It was a little two unit that I house hacked in Baltimore City. I had a tenant who lived upstairs in an apartment and then I rented out my basement and I was living completely rent-free, mortgage-free. And that's how I caught the bug. And then what was your next deal? It was that flip I did. So a little background about me. I'm a spreadsheet jockey. I shouldn't be allowed to touch a hammer, let alone swing one. And I feel like me and a couple of partners, we went off and bought the biggest, baddest flip in Baltimore City where there's just like lots of shells and dilapidated houses. And we had to do everything on this house from roofs, mechanicals, digging out the basement. And then of course, new flooring, walls, paint, kitchen updates, the whole nine yards, which was a great learning experience, but it was really, really painful. And I was like, yeah, I need to scale up into multifamily. This is going to take too long and I need to be able to leverage the strengths of others. And what were the numbers on that deal? On the flip? On the flip. When we bought it, we originally anticipated it was going to be 89K purchase, 60K rehab, 235 sale. And the actual numbers were 89K purchase, about 80K rehab and 200 sale. Oh, yeah. It was numbers are not, your spreadsheet wasn't accurate that time, was it? Oh, the spreadsheet was accurate, but the inputs I put into the model were not. Uh, so garbage in, garbage out. All right. So you put all this work into a flip that didn't yield the results that you wanted. And then you decided you wanted to go into multifamily. So bring me on that journey. We're in the middle of this flip. I think we had found out we were going to have to replace our roof, which wasn't originally in our budget, which is a small row home. So it was like $2,500. But I'm talking with a partner and we're just like, every time we miss something with our budget, we have to come out of pocket for the expense. And we're hoping that we're going to get it back at the end when we sell the property. And I had this little two unit, he had a four unit, and each of us had dealt with some problems. He had to deal with a six month eviction while we're doing this flip. And I had to evict the first tenant I ever had who lived above me, which was a little sketchy because <laughs> she knew exactly where I slept. But every time we make a mistake on one of these small multifamilies, really our tenants end up paying for it. My partner didn't cash flow for six months on his fourplex, but he's like, my tenants paid for my eviction. They paid for the mortgage and I still get these great tax write-offs. And then with us just not having these great construction and renovation skills, our deal with the flip, we were anticipating a 30K profit. It's hard to bring on a partner and really incentivize them with a big carrot at the end of the day for 10K. Whereas you start buying multi-million dollar multifamily properties, there's just a big enough pie where you can have someone do the finances, you can have someone do the management, you have someone find the deal and all the other roles that it takes to take a multifamily deal down. And so that just, the light went off in our heads and we're like, yeah, like we need to go into multifamily and bigger deals. 
So you realize the benefit of having those economies of scale. What was your first multifamily, your larger one? I'm part of a joint venture in Little Rock, Arkansas. So we have a portfolio consisting of an 18 unit and a 16 unit property in Little Rock. And I guess I just really like big rehabs and big value adds, even though that's not my strength because it was a totally distressed property when we bought it. It was around 35% economically occupied in the middle of COVID. And we're going in there, we're putting about five to 10K a door into rehab and we're taking rents that were 400, 450 a month and we're getting them up to 650, 700 with tenants who can actually pay the rent. And who is we? It's a joint venture partner. So I have four other partners in on this deal. One of them found it. We were going to get a loan, but we ended up getting seller financing. So they're kind of going to be the KP. And then another one is a partner I work with at my company, Kronos. Which one of them are the boots on the ground? It's the couple who was going to be the KP. Okay. So they're in Little Rock, Arkansas. They're actually not. They're in Dallas, which is about a four hour drive away. Yeah. So they have some long road trips every couple of weeks. So they're remotely managing this massive rehab. Mm -hmm. What are the challenges with that? So on one of our properties, it's Cardinal Construction, which I don't know if your listeners know what that is, but it's kind of like these small rancher style apartments, kind of weird floor plans. And an example would be we have issues with getting the correct size appliances. One of the units, we had to get a unique sized oven and range. And when you're not there, you can't really rely on other contractors if your contractor is being slow or he's busy with other jobs. So at least in our experience, it's taking a little longer than we would have liked. Still getting done, the numbers still look good. It's just you don't have as big of a network as if you're local to the market and you've been doing deals there for years. Got it. What are you looking for in your next project? That's a good question. I like these heavy value adds because there's a lot of money to be made in them and there's a huge spread. (laughs) They're definitely stressful though. So I would definitely take another one of these if the time was right. And I'm also looking for more lighter value add, like B-class properties and more growing markets. So Little Rock's a good stable market. It's a state capital, but it's not like Phoenix, Arizona or central Florida where the growth is just crazy. And what were the numbers on that Little Rock property? This is my favorite part. <laughs> so we bought 34 units for 800,000, which I think comes out to 23, 24K a door. We're putting between five and 10K a unit into renovations, which is interior and exterior. And the sales comps for the Cardinal construction are about 40K. And the sales comps for these small townhomes, they're north of 50K. So all in, we're in for around 30 to 35K a unit. And the ARV per unit is from 40 to 53K. And are you going to hold on to this property or dispose of it? We're still contemplating that. The way I view it is we're in phases. And right now we're still doing the rehab and the lease up. And then when it's time to either refinance or sell, we'll have to make that decision. It's kind of the cool thing about being on seller financing, though. It gives us a little bit of flexibility. It's not like a rehab loan where you have to refinance into a permanent loan. But... Given the types of properties they are, they're smaller, our boots on the ground are farther away, and they're lower income, it does make a lot of sense to just flip the properties and then redeploy the the capital somewhere else. And what were the terms of that seller financing? What did you have to put down? 
there's two different properties. So the one property we got 85% LTV, the other property we got 75% LTV, 3% interest. And then the one property is amortized over 18 years and the other one's over 20 years. So all in all, we had to put $215,000 down. And what part did the seller finance the entire loan? Yeah, they financed everything. Oh, we were trying to get a construction loan but that fell through and it was just taking too long. So our partner who found the deal, her name's Emma, she was able to negotiate really good seller financing terms. And I'm sure you asked him, but does he own any more that he wants to get rid of for you? No, he doesn't, unfortunately. I'd love to pick some up because he completely mismanaged them. So on your next deal, would you look for seller financing specifically or would you go the conventional route? I feel like seller financing, it's a great tool to have in your tool belt. But if you're only looking for seller financing deals, especially in today's market, I feel like you're really going to reduce your deal flow. And we were trying to get bank financing. And the reason we ended up going with a seller carry is just because the bank financing doesn't work out. So yeah, I'm totally open to doing it. And it's something I ask every seller when we analyze properties. But if the deal works with the bank financing and bank debt, I'm definitely going to go that route if it makes sense. In this case, why did the bank financing not work out? I think it was because it was in the middle of COVID and they were requiring really high reserves and lower LTV. It's funny because they originally quoted us 80% LTC and then they ended up bumping it down to 70%. So it's just like the numbers don't work. And he was willing to give us higher leverage with seller carry. And did you look for a bank that was local in Little Rock or one where you're at in Denver? No, we were talking with local community banks in Little Rock. It was too small of a property or purchase to get an agency loan on it. Okay. Were these small local lenders? Were they credit unions? Were they regional banks or big banks? It was all three. And we reached out to a ton of them. It was like every bank that we could find on Google, we were calling them and seeing if they would lend on the project. It was going to take too long to close on the loan. Were their terms okay, even though their time to close was not? They weren't as good as the seller financing. I mean, we got 3% interest and 85% LTV on the one property. Do you have a relationship with a lender where you're at now? I have relationships with national lenders. They're like mortgage brokers and they broker agency loans. And I have a couple contacts in the Little Rock market for the community banks, but it's always great to have more. Again, we're not in the market, so it's not like we know every lender there. Yeah. So now that this property's on its way to becoming stabilized, If you had to refinance, would you use a lender in Little Rock or one where you're at? I wouldn't use one in Denver unless they were an agency lender. If we could get an agency loan, that's the route I would like to go because it's longer amortization, lower interest rates, and non-recourse. But if that didn't work out because the portfolio was too small, then we would go with the community bank in Little Rock. Got it. So what's next for you? We're looking for deals. Um, Our team at Kronos, we're hunting them down in Florida because one of my partners is local to Jacksonville. And we're looking to partner with other sponsors to do more deals outside of our geographic range. Good. So you just want a partner that has boots on the ground and you're ready to take on a deal and you would prefer properties that need significant rehab. I'm open to all deals like light value add, even core stabilized assets if the returns make sense. But yeah, I'm not afraid of doing a heavy value add either because the returns are potentially so good if you buy right. John, what's your benchmark for pursuing a deal or not 
Is it cash on cash return? Is it gut feeling? It's kind of all of it. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could tell you it's 8% cash on cash, but when I'm analyzing the deals, I'm looking for a story within the property. So signs of mismanagement, distressed owners who need to sell. And if there's upside in the market, like if I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, I might require lower returns than if I'm in Little Rock because the market is so strong. So if it's like a light value-ed B-class property, I'm going to look for between a 15 17% IRR, at least 8% average cash on cash. And then as the properties get more distressed and older, I'm going to require higher IRR, which stands for internal rate of return and higher cash on cash. Got it. John, what's your best ever real estate investing advice? When you're crunching your numbers, make sure that you verify everything. That's what I learned when I did that flip. I made certain assumptions and they were just wrong. So now when we analyze deals, we're trying to get at least two or three other parties to verify our numbers. And by parties, that's like contractors, property managers, investors in the market who know how to operate the properties. And what assumptions were wrong? Was it specific rehab items? In the flip, it was the complete rehab budget. We just didn't know what things cost at the time. And also our ARV was way off. We pulled a comp that was next door that had gotten a higher ARV than we had sold it for, but we missed that the days on market were 120 days. Got it. John, are you ready for the lightning round? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Awesome. First, a quick word from our partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. John, what's the best ever book you recently read? There's this book by Peter Lineman. I think it's called real estate finance, risk and opportunities. If you're looking to really get in the weeds of analyzing deals and underwriting, I think that's a fantastic book. Right up your alley with the spreadsheets, right? Yeah, exactly. Got it. John, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I really like to create our own content. And like one thing I really like to do is do these underwriting case studies and just help educate other people learn how to analyze bigger properties. Do you post those anywhere? Yeah, I'm active in a couple Facebook groups. We've done a few live events there. And I think I've been on a couple other podcasts or podcast type things. I don't really know what they're called. We'll do case studies there too. Got it. And John, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can reach out to me on Facebook, which is just John Stober. Instagram, it's John underscore Stober. And we have our own podcast called The Millennials and Multifamily. So if you're young, looking to break into multifamily, feel free to check us out there too. Great, John. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've given us some great advice. It turns out you knew in the beginning you are not set up or made for a job in corporate America. And you went at this real estate thing and you didn't take the easy route. You took on some hard rehabs and you've made a lot of progress remotely managing some decent sized units. So good luck to you. And thank you again for all of your advice and have a best ever day. Thank you so much for having me, Ash. It was great to meet you.